0: You're listening to Soul Work with San, where we journey through the needed conversations that will help us live, lead, and love better in this life. I'm your host, San, and I am ready to dive into this lesson today. See, this whole first season is dedicated to soul detox. We're asking the question, what are the toxins within that are preventing us from living healed, whole, and free? Now, the past two weeks, we've been coming after that treacherous pharisaical mindset. But this week, we're talking all things New Age. So should Christians practice yoga? What about meditation, tarot cards, and horoscopes? Now, what's the big deal about progressive Christianity? Isn't it all the same? Oh, yes, fam. We're going there today. You ready? Let's work. last week's episode please be sure to head back and check it out it's really going to help those of us who have struggled with being a pharisee now as a recovering pharisee myself i had to make the strong strides to turn away from being so self-righteous and into true sanctification which is becoming more like jesus i won't even lie every once in a while that stinking thinking will still rear its ugly head And I have to remind myself that I'm not the standard, nor am I the one who makes the call. I don't get to determine someone else's walk. And you know what? This water sure is tasty and I should just stick with it and keep minding my business. (laughs) So talking about trifling ways of pharisaical thinking will always be a passion of mine because of the damage it has done to so, so many people. But it's not the only thing that threatens to taint our spiritual health. So today. I want us to take the time to talk about the dangers of the New Age movement and how some of its teachings have stealthily crept its way into churchy rhetoric that comes flying across our pulpits or our pews. Now, how did we get here? But most importantly, what are we going to do about it? Now, before we get into the details, it's so important to note the sweetness of deception. Yeah, I said that right. The sweetness of deception. See, Proverbs explains to us that stolen waters are sweet and bread eaten in secrecy is pleasant. This simply means that it's not only easy, but it's expected of my flesh to cultivate a mysterious, romantic, and sentimental component to the things that I like, but those things may not like me back. It's immensely enticing when we're doing something we know better than doing, and many of us are willing to not only overlook the offense, but we'll downright defend it, especially if it brings us pleasure. See, carnality is charming. It whispers sweet nothings into our soul, promising us a good time, but leaving us just a little more empty than how it found us, only to set an appointment in our minds, also known as temptation, to do it again. And we enjoy this dance of delusion with ourselves, but we're not opposed to finding partners who will join in step or even teach us a thing or two. So we do what Paul told Timothy about, and we heap unto ourselves teachers who will tell us what we want to hear. Now, Jesus did not mince his words when he referred to these false teachers as wolves in sheep's clothing. This duplicity means they're not going to be hideous or monstrous and aggressive adversaries. On the contrary, it's sheep's clothing. It's soft, it's cuddly and comfy. See, the false teachings and doctrines, the enemies of your faith, they're going to come dressed as friends, tempting us with folly. That sounds fantastic. What will we do then? Now, there's so much out there in the world. There's so many practices that promise peace, protection, and prosperity. The most common world religions promise the same, and so do followers or teachers of New Age thought. I have no intentions of doing a deep dive into the history of some of the practices I'm mentioning in this episode. But if you're interested, some time on the Google, as my Nana would say, it'll bless you. But what I do want to explore is this. Is there a place in the life of the believer for new age spirituality and practice? Now, my answer, I don't think that's the right question. Now, hear me out. Let me let me explain myself. Countless blogs, articles, videos, and other mediums address these topics at length. If we research the history of yoga, we'll find its roots are in Eastern mysticism. And the same can be said of things like sound bowls and horoscopes and even the ever popular practice of mindfulness. See, we're bombarded with influencers who've decided to manifest their best life now. And can can we pause for a second? I just, I gotta take this. Why are we attempting to live our best life now if we as believers know that heaven and the eternal most best life, if I can say it that way, is our home. Wouldn't that very attempt of achieving this life on earth put me at odds with God's plan for my life? Because I'm fighting for something he's already promised me to have, just not yet. Okay, just something to think about. Let me get let me get back to it. All of this, the messages that we're bombarded with, the manifesting of this uh, goal and pushing to achieve and the divine oneness within, it can all look terribly confusing when every once in a while, those same people will give a shout out to God or use a catchphrase that's typically found in church. Won't he do it? Stuff like that. So what's a believer to do? How is a new convert or babe in Christ to know what and who to trust when everyone is so committed To their truth. I cannot stress enough the need for biblical literacy in the life of the believer. It's literally like milk to a newborn. You won't be able to survive without it. Now, this does not mean that we've got to join a seminary or become a theologian, but it does mean that reading the Bible is non negotiable. And it's also not the pastor's job to read it for us. And after a while, we won't want it to be. It is so rich, fam. This word is so full of truth that even when it brings conviction, it also brings clarity. See, the word is the only thing that can cut so good. And taking the time to digest it, it's tantamount to not being swayed by the latest spiritual trend. So whatever word I'm given or come across or, you know, dropping gems, whatever it is, it's my responsibility to put it up against the light that is scripture. Also having a group of peers and even a mentor or two who is seasoned. Did I say seasoned? (laughs) Seasoned in the scriptures. That can help us decipher the word accurately and contextually. This is crucial to thriving in the faith. Let's keep working. All of these efforts towards spiritual health will fail if my foundation is not in right step. What or better yet, who then is my foundation, son? I'm so glad you asked, fam. For the Christian's answer, it's Jesus. Why? I'm so glad you asked that too, because he's the one who loved us enough to die for us. Now, isn't it telling that with every other major religion, humans must go to God? There's always another level to attain, another self to actualize. And even with the new age religion, it's all still based on a futile attempt to become more enlightened. But Christianity is the only religion in which God comes to us. He makes atonement for sin, which means he eternally solves our problem and then leaves us an example for us to follow, and he remains with us through Holy Spirit so that we may be able to persevere until the end. So this means not only am I saved, permanently rescued from death, but I'm going all the way. <laughs> What's that? I'm sorry, y'all gonna have to excuse me. I thought I heard a, a B3 or an organ in the distance. <laughs> but but here's the thing about this love: it's all encompassing, it's complete, and it stands firm on its own, needing nothing more. See, the process of salvation looks like me believing in Jesus as Savior and Lord of my life. And then living according to what he said, which explicitly means doing what he did. This, this doing is the definition of a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Now, some even refer to this lifestyle as being an apprentice of Jesus. But it's important to note this. If I'm going to do what Jesus did, it would also be wise and biblically sound of me to avoid participating in what he didn't do. Now, here's what this means. In all of his worship, in all of his moments of practicing spiritual disciplines, which he did, he practiced solitude, simplicity, prayer, along with silence and many other disciplines. One thing we can be certain that Jesus never did, he never supplemented his faith. He already had what he needed. So there's no point in scripture that indicates to us that Jesus ever added religious practices found during those times or whenever to include in the expression of his spiritual identity. Think about it. If the son of God added activity to help him worship or bring some sort of salve beyond what he already possessed, what would that say about his father and his ability to fully satisfy So if Jesus didn't, and he's given himself as the model and guide, why should we, why do I need to take herbs and smudge my home? If the captain of the Lord's army leads my life, why do I need to use my body as a tool of worship to other deities in the form of yoga when it's this same body that is his temple? Why am I giving credence to the stars to dictate my future when the creator of the stars already has it in his hands? So instead of asking, is there a place for new age spirituality? A better question is, why do I feel I even need it in my life? And another question is this is it wise to practice anything that doesn't align with the God I say I love? If I believe in this gospel to the utmost, Why would I want to add to an already complete faith? Sure, this life in Christ provides me freedom to do, but why would I use it to bind myself in darkness? The enemy of our souls has a job to make what is wrong appear to be not so bad. Then he takes what is right and makes it appear irrelevant, out of touch, and for some oppressive. The goal is to make the black and white become gray. And since Jesus himself said that if it were possible, even the very elect would fall away, we're going to need the gift that is discernment to make it. I love Charles Spurgeon's words on discernment. He says this discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong it is knowing the difference between right and almost right now see it's the almost right that's got us tripped up fam because it sounds so dope and it kind of makes sense and best of all almost right feels so, so good. Most critically, it feeds the part of our flesh that's been passed down to us from the days of Adam. You know, the part that says it's not that bad. I can handle that outcome. And I don't really think he said that. But think about it. Every time we've said we got this to ourselves, mm, we didn't. <laughs> we went in over our heads and paid for it with our emotions and time and money. Some of us are still paying those tabs to this day. But it's OK. Freedom is available for you, too, boo. See, here's the thing. We must be aware that the thing that's come to deceive us it never shows up looking deceptive, but delicious. So sin, sin doesn't come across as corrosive as it really is. Sure, it may poison our souls, but Lord, the things that it does to the other parts of us, that anger, that rage, that lust, that revenge, that pettiness, that addiction, that indulgence. I'm, I'm going to say it like this. Beloved, playeth not thine self. Sin sin feels good it's why we do it and it's why we go back it's why we risk it all it's the allure the rush the hush don't tell nobody that's that's sin the idea of getting caught becomes enticing enough to execute the act that'll separate me from my greatest love but that's the problem with sin isn't it sure it looks feels and tastes real good but how does it leave me now, here's reason number 352 for why I love the word. <laughs> We're always giving a heads up. There's nothing truly ambiguous about life because I can find it in the word. Now, the word says this. There is a way, a lifestyle, a mindset, a habit or a moral code that seemeth, appears. It seems right or upright, correct or pleasing but the end. Okay. There's a way that seems right, but the end literally means after almost implying once it's too late to turn the end thereof are the ways of death and destruction. And that connotation of the word death there, it's almost like a form of punishment. So it doesn't get any more plain than that. We gravitate to things that are destructive, but we convince ourselves that it's the right path. In other words, we like the lies we tell ourselves. Oh, be a hammer, Holy Ghost. Now, not only do we like it, but we rock with people who will reinforce those lies. We've become a people that prefer cuddly blasphemy over convicting truth. But if we're in detox and we want to live, like, I mean, really live, not just buy time until this is all over, but really live, we've got to give up the lies we like. What are the lies? What are some of the lies we tell ourselves? Lies like this, because I'm glad you asked (laughs) lies like this. If I could just get this house, spouse, job, car, I'd be happy or satisfied. If I could just get rid of maybe the house, the spouse, the job or the car, I'd be happy or satisfied. Another lie is it's not me, it's them. I'm the victim in all of this. They keep coming after me. Another one, if I keep doing this, then he'll finally stop doing that. You know what I'm talking about. Here's another one. If I can mix these practices, you know, a little bit of Buddhism here, a little bit of uh, uh, truth seances there, a little bit of yoga here. If I can do that and then do my own thing, really be my own God, I can do all of that and still have a healthy relationship with God. I can still practice oneness. Lie. It's a, that one's a pit lie. Here's another one. Uh, I'm going to get to that later. Or... If I just had more time, I'd be able to do what I know God is calling me to. But I'm just too busy. That's another pit one, too. Here's a lie. I can handle this. Now, here's one that's been getting a lot of play lately. The church's mistake or the leader's misuse of me means that God isn't real. My only response to it is this. Just because they may have gotten it wrong doesn't mean the Bible isn't right. Say lie yourself. Let me move on. (laughs) We lie to ourselves to feel better about ourselves. It's an effort to cope with a reality we're trying to avoid. But what's avoided will never be overcome. And this is the problem with darkness. This is why trying to mix new age or mystical practices with the Christian faith, it'll never work. Jesus says in John three, we love the darkness because our deeds are evil. But if I'm lying to myself about my love for it, I'm going to hinder my journey into the light of God's word. Because remember, we talked about this last week. I first got to be honest. So another way to describe this journey of walking in the light is simply the process of sanctification. I'm not going to get it right every time, but that's not even the whole point of it. The process is the prize reps and sets of walking out of deception into truth. It's the blooming and unfolding of a life that's hid with Christ in God. That is my greatest aim. But to get there, I've got to be aware of the darkness to even spot the light. How to spot darkness or another way to put it, how to not be deceived. Now, there's a few ways, but I'm just going to give you two. Number one, it all rises and falls on Jesus. He's the difference maker and how people view him will come out in what they say about him and what they believe about him will come out in how they treat others. Period. It doesn't matter who the person is, what they do, how well they perform. How we treat people is indication of what we believe about Jesus. Now, here's the second biggest thing, and it really ties into the first. It's fruit or literally how we are able to identify one another. Now, I know we throw around that judge, not around like it's our favorite pastime sport, right? But the truth is we're called to evaluate one another based on our behaviors and then act accordingly. The fruit always, always indicates the root. You'll never get an orange from an apple tree, baby. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. The converse is also true. I'm now giving you Matthew 7. What comes out of a person's mouth is what's rooted in their heart. The end. (laughs) Jesus closes out that passage by literally explaining that we will be able to recognize who people are and who they belong to based on the fruit in their lives. So part of being a disciple is learning how to be a keen fruit inspector. It just may save your life. I'll leave my closing thoughts here. I specifically chose the title Out of Darkness Into His Marvelous Light because there's only two choices available to each person. Now that can sound foreign in a culture that offers a myriad of options which can lead to analysis paralysis and all of that. But that's a whole nother episode. They're offered tons of choices and options for literally anything that our heart desires. But in the context of the eternal. There is no third option. There's no possibility for an all of the above. It's good or evil, right or wrong, heaven or hell, light or darkness. And it all boils down to that. It's bigger than what we may feel. It must extend to what we believe, to what we know to be true. And this is why the postmodern view of even having various truths, it's an attack on the truth that is Jesus and the word of God. He is the word of God. Now, sure, we all have perspectives and opinions. And they're worth sharing and examining. They really are. But to label everyone's experience as a truth attempts to undermine Jesus, who refers to himself as the truth. Again, deception isn't loud and looming. It's love and light being sent as an energy through some sort of digital salutation. See, it's the little things, the little details, the small one degree shift in the sails that will take us on an entirely different path. One that for a time will feel right, so we make it seem good, but it may lead to our own demise. And during this time when everything is changing and economies are collapsing, people are hurting, people are dying. They're filled with anxiety and falling into the fallacy that there's another savior who can come and rescue us from this. There's a politician, there's a political party, there's an economy plan, there's a policy that's going to help rescue us from this dare disciple, fellow soldier, fight on, know the truth. When you don't know what to do, do what you know. God is faithful. He is upright. He's rich in mercy and he never fails. He is just, he is your shield and he's coming back. Cling to the truth. Leave the little gods who keep failing you. They keep failing you. Those lies are not worth your soul. So, in my parting comments, I'll leave you with these lyrics from a favorite hymn of mine Walk in the light, beautiful light. Come where the dewdrops of mercy shine bright. Shine all around us by day and by night. Jesus, the light of the world. Mm. Question. what do your actions say to God of what you believe about him? Another follow up question, <laughs> it seems like it's always two. Do my spiritual engagements reinforce my belief in him or my desire for another savior? Hit me up. Let's talk about this one. For real, I want to know. Thank you for letting me be with you today. If this brought you any value, I'd be honored if you'd subscribe to the show for more soul-hitting episodes delivered freely to your device each week. Check out our website, soulworkwithsan.com for more thoughts. We're on Facebook and Instagram at soulworkwithsan. I'd love to hear from you, for real. So email me at hello at soulworkwithsan.com. That's hello at soulwork with sahn.com. Now remember fam, you're only going to hear one of two statements on that fateful day. Well done or depart from me. Let's live accordingly. Love you. Talk soon.